0: Welcome to the MCB Developed Podcast. I'm Richie Shoemaker. Q, Vince.
1: Uh, and I'm Vince Pavey. <laughs> you didn't write me in the script, Richie.
0: Oh, you must know. You, look, you must know Vince. Okay, we'll do it again. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the MCB Developed Podcast. I'm Richie Shoemaker. And I'm Vince Pavey. And joining us today for a festive feast of football is John Hare, co founder of the original rockstar developer Sensible Software, responsible, of course, for 16 bit classics like Cannon Fodder and Sensible Soccer. And for nearly 20 years since, the CEO and Creative Director of Tower Studios. Welcome, John. Hello. How's it going?
2: Not bad. Yeah, very, very busy at the moment, I would say, but generally pretty good.
0: And would that be down to um, the last month's release of Sociable Soccer and Steam?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're... (laughs) We we weren't planning to self publish and we've ended up self publishing as well as self developing, so it's a bit like all hands to the pump at the moment. Congrats on the release. Yeah, thanks. I mean it's it's been a it's been a long time coming and it's you know, it's been important for us to get Social Soccer twenty four out, considering we started it in two thousand and fifteen when we yeah. started talking about it and okay, it's called twenty four, it's really twenty twenty three now, but it's that been that many years, uh it's been a very
1: unusual journey to get to this point actually uh well, that, that's finally- the football game tradition right calling it the next year ahead of time
2: well yeah yeah but it doesn't normally take like eight years to get <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> um
2: i mean sensible soccer took nine months so this is this has been a long one to get to this point um but we have released it on other platforms before the pc yeah uh you know from 2019 so but yeah it's uh it's a very uh strange landscape out there for us game makers I must say you know the 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 variety of platforms and uh, expectations of people playing games is very different on the different platforms so it's quite quite interesting right now
0: well you've gone from yeah like you say in 2019 you released it on Apple Arcade yeah Yeah. and you've kind of gone from being I guess a big fish in a a small pond if I can put it that way Mm -hmm. to being you know Steam is a very very big pond what is it like I think I was looking at the it recently it was like is it 70,000 games or something on there something like that it's quite scary actually how big steam is yeah you're right yeah and visibility i think we you know you talk to a lot of developers a lot of studios and visibility is a huge problem so you know how how are you how are you dealing with that at the moment
2: well i mean it's interesting i mean so for me i mean the last time i, I did publishing we did a a version of um the Bitmap Brothers Speedball called Speedball 2 HD yep. on uh, iPhone and Steam and also on PS Plus in about 2011, 2012. That's the last time I looked at doing this kind of stuff. Um, and now we're back to doing it again. And of course, Steam's totally transformed in that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not just Steam, it's the game market it is absolutely saturated with titles. So. Um, like doing a, a news piece like this or chatting with people like you is great. Great for us. Great for social soccer at the moment for our game. Mm. Um, but actually getting people's attention is really hard now. I mean, if I look back to when I started in the 80s, it was really easy to get people's attention. Now it's supremely hard. And more importantly than that, it's supremely expensive just to get even attention at the moment.
0: Yeah,
2: um, It's very odd how we put eight years into something. And you're hanging on some weird algorithm in the search engine that no one really understands how it works. <laughs> it's kind of a bit ironic that we are in this position as an industry, actually. You know, And it's because of the volume of games. Like you said, 70,000. You wouldn't have a library full of 70... Well, you might have a library full of 70,000 books. As we all know, it's ever since we've had... Well, since about 2010, we've been just growing and growing and growing because digital stock is free to create and free to... Warehouse basically, yeah. so there's no limit to how many games can be manufactured. It's the ever since we've had non physical stock that the volume has gone up because in the old days, like you need to spend. Well, if we if we make the boxed versions like on social soccer, we're doing some box distribution through a company called Contact Sales, which is a very well established British games box box games company.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, box games are traditionally about 14% of the market at the moment. Of course, cool. so they used to be 100% back back in the 80s when I started. Um, the thing about box games is they've got a unit cost attached to them. You know, it's going to cost you, I don't know, between three and five quid to just make that box and then put it in a warehouse, stick it on a pallet, drive it around in a lorry, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to a shop. Yeah. And that physical cost, if you were saying... Doing a run of, I don't know, what do we want to do? We'll do 20,000 boxes and they're a fiver each. That's going to cost you £100,000. And that simple fact used to stop this volume of games being made because you actually had an outlay at the start. And now that outlay doesn't exist. This is why we're in the current situation with so many games on on a lot of platforms. And of course, like, we talk about Steam, but when you compare it to the App Store or what's on Android, it's it's the tip of the iceberg.
0: So, I mean... I mean, like you say, coming at this from you know after ten years of not really maybe worrying about it uh-huh. is is it a you said it, it's a lot more difficult, but do you see any any kind of solutions
2: in this industry? you need to keep on relearning to keep yourself relevant yeah I'm sure you get that as well in your roles, and it's good for me to be working on all these platforms um Uh, And of course the advantage for me is I can add my knowledge for the old platforms and the old ways and the old way that publishing works and stuff Mm. to the new way as well but it's very important to like to keep yourself relevant you need to keep abreast with all this new stuff so it's really exciting for me to work with like on this little maths game I've been working on on star numbers like there's a guy I'm working with there and I've been working on the design side and helping the the team to design to, to do some design and get some you know get some business for the game and he's just come from this total analytically driven bit of design about how you put all the monetization into a mobile title and actually we complement each other really well because neither of us understands too much about what the other one does <laughs> and uh, it's great to be working with someone else with this different skill set which is complementary which is how you make great games you work yeah. with people with different complementary skills to the same object end objective so, um, yeah, it's uh, it's really pretty exciting. Uh, it's always exciting in the games world. It's sometimes just really frustrating as well.
0: So you're, you're looking forward to next year then? Because, I mean, it's been an exhausting year, I think, for a lot of people. It must have been pretty exhausting for you, like you say, getting the the release out before the end of the year. You, you don't sound exhausted, though. Oh, I'm totally
2: exhausted. Actually, uh, <laughs> you catch me because I went to bed really late uh, and... Uh, well, I was finishing off because I had this, this, this game idea for this word game. I mean, I love word games. So I think I've come up with another original word game last night. Sometimes I'll write a song. I mean, if you're a creative person, like I do, you know, sometimes you have ideas. You just got to execute them when they're in your head before they go. Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: that is my gift. That is my curse. Yeah. <laughs> I do a lot of comic stuff in it, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, that's how we, That's how you're going to roll. You're going to roll with your energy. So if your energy's up, you go then. But it means that. You get to a certain point of the day, and you're like, I'm really tired. But what what I do is I just roll with my own uh, energy on that stuff. But also, there's a lot to organise at the moment. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of partners we've got in this, in the development and on the publishing side, and it's my responsibility to always be available for people and always be on top of stuff and always have certain answers. And that's quite hard. Like the responsibility of running stuff and always being there to give the direction if it's requested you know, what should we do now? Or sometimes to set it or sometimes to research it. Like I've been doing a lot of research in how Steam as a platform works. I've not really had to look at, it, to be honest, for, for many years. So you you need to really have the drive to keep going. And sometimes it wears you out. Um, the biggest problem at the moment is just the flow of money. It's hard for everybody right now. There's There's a dearth of money in publishing at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and it's very obvious. I mean, when we knew we were going to have to change from our publisher this year, I did sound out a number of different publishers, and there was, you know, a number of publishers who were interested in the game and publishing it, but they said we just don't. Either they didn't have the publishing slot available, or more more likely than that, they just didn't have the available capital to risk. Yeah. Um, it is really really tough out there, but but. I know this when we when Sensible Soccer first came out, it was a not a great time in the economy and we were successful in a in a bad time for everyone else. And actually that was very, very good for us. You know, I, when Sensible Soccer came out, we made a lot of money out of the royalties and I was able to buy a house. So if you can succeed during bad times, it puts you in a strong position. And you I, I always Think you've got to see things philosophically, like you know what they say. I mean, it's, it's an old cliche, but when things are good, there's never as good as they seem, and when they're bad, they're not as bad as they seem. Um, this is the games industry, you've got to have as deep pockets as you can have to survive the rough times that are bound to turn up. Uh, they always do. You know, it's always about have you got enough, have you managed to save up enough money in the bank to ride off the really bad
1: year/slash two years that's in front of you. I think it was uh, Kim last episode said that uh, even when you've got champagne money, you should act like you've got a lemonade budget. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, because it's about how long it lasts for. You know, like, I mean, we've been eight years making this game. You can imagine how much money has been spent making it. And, mm. um,
1: yeah. you know,
2: it's been a bit odd. Like, we made nothing for the first few years. Then we made this absolute fortune from Apple Arcade in the middle. Then, you know, it's been very low recently because the game's just come out. I mean, there's, there's not been hardly any money in for for again for a few years apart from the apple arcade tale and a little bit of money on publishing side the other publishing side but not very much and so the income is like nothing huge peak and then little after it and you know and then you're waiting for the next peak to come up again and for most people they would be scared about the way you have to manage it financially you just have to keep a very cool head (laughs) under extreme pressure that's how it works
0: Okay, then let's go back a little bit then. You, you co-founded Sensible Software in 86, uh, oh. I think it was, and you found you quickly found yeah. success with uh, Wizball. I didn't realise you worked on Twister. I remember liking that game on, on the screen. On
2: the we did Twister. What we did, Twister was... Uh, myself and Chris were, were basically schoolmates, and we played in a band together for quite a few years. We met when we were 15, and we when we were 19... Chris got offered a job working for a local games company and then I helped him out with some art one day and then they liked my art and they offered me a job. And we were working with this company called LT Software in Basildon and then they commissioned us to do a project together and that project was Twister on the ZX Spectrum, um, which was at the end of 1985 we made that game. And then we found out that they were taking 85% of the money and we were doing all of the work on the game. So we decided that we set our own company up instead, <laughs> on a government enterprise scheme, Mrs. Thatcher's government enterprise scheme. In March of 1986, we sent Sensible Software up. The first game we made was Parallax. Yeah. On the Commodore 64, and yeah, Wisble, you're right, was the second game that we made.
0: Yeah, but it, it all came together, I suppose. In was it 91, I suppose, with Megal- was it in the Megalomania in 91? The three big games, wasn't it, Megalomania, Sensible Soccer, Cannon Fodder. You know those three kind of like. The, well, we did the have
2: we did have a, a bit of success in the in the Commodore sixty four years after Whizball. So we after Whizball we did Shoot 'em Up Construction Kit on the Commodore sixty four, which was uh, like a, a game. Uh, well, a utility really that allowed you to make yeah. your own games. That was our first number one game. Then we did Microprose Soccer on the Commodore sixty four. That was our first football game that we wanted to call Sensible Soccer, but Microprose wanted to change the
0: name. Um, yeah. And, vir- and didn't did. Virgin vir- want Sensible Soccer to be called Virgin Soccer?
2: They yeah, absolutely did. And we said, we're not doing that again. Thank you very much. <laughs> we're going to give you a Sensible Soccer. And then uh, uh, and then we had 3D Tennis, which was like a transition game for us. And then we did Kid on the Amiga, which I kind of love WizKid. as this kind of weird jazz album game in the middle of everything. Uh, yeah. And then, like you say, Sensible Soccer, uh, Megalomania, sorry, then Sensible Soccer, then Cannon Fodder, and then Sensible World of Soccer and yeah. Cannon Fodder 2. I then- mean, it was, it
0: was kind of like a, this unstoppable ascension wasn't it you guys were kind of experiencing what was did it feel like you were just going from strength to strength and there was never going to be any kind of drop or there was never going to you know it was almost like an unstoppable kind of rock star period
2: yeah we were we we did yes we i mean between june 92 and june 95 we were number one for 52 weeks in the uk charts games I mean that's a third of the time in three years. It's quite a lot. That was that was a combination of all of our games, yeah. you know, together. Um, we were very much in that purple patch. And at the time, you feel like everything you touch turns to gold, and uh, you. It's interesting if it becomes normal. I mean, you don't you don't feel like oh wow we're great this is amazing. It's just like yeah of course we're we're good. You know you just because it was a very creative company, sensible software. You're just doing stuff. You're just making it. It's just about the only difference is you believe that that's going to succeed. And when you've got the media behind you, it's all easier. Like we would say to the media, to the games press, oh, we've got a new game coming out. It's called Cannon Fodder. And everyone's go, oh, well, let's see it. You know, they Because at that time, the, 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 the concept of uh, games companies or games developers as... Celebrities, if you like, it's a bit of a weird word. I don't really like the word celebrity, but you know, artists, known artists, should we say? Uh, and the fact that you're looking forward to the next game from that known artist—that really was happening back in the in the nineties and the eighties, in the early nineties certainly, because it was before it got into the corporate phase of, um, you know what happened afterwards, when you know the 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 company might be a brand, but you don't really know the individuals within it. You know, we, we came out of the era when you had, like, your, your Jeff Minters and your Archie McLeans and mm. David Brabens. And, you know, it was all individual human beings. Even in the US, you had, like, Will Wright and people like that.
1: So... The Sid Meyers. yeah, Sid Meier, exactly. And, and we've kind of lost that now. I mean... You get you get the big Japanese guys, but they're mostly at Nintendo. <laughs> like,
2: they mostly, yeah. They're mostly part of the Nintendo machine or the well, whatever machine they're in. But we, we, we kind of... It's not a coincidence, it was deliberately um, phased out in favour of big brands being pushed because individuals from a corporate perspective can be seen to jeopardise their control Mm -hmm. if it's all going on in an individual. I think that's a bit sad. I think that one thing the games industry really misses and lacks is the same thing that the music or the film or the book industry has where you've got individual people I mean, I'm quite lucky that I'm. My name is recognised at least by older people in Europe. Um, <laughs> it's recognised, uh, but the,
1: the only sm- recent guys I can think of are like Toby Fox, who did Undertale, or uh, Christian Whitehead, who's like the the Sonic saviour. That's just the reason they're making good 2D ones these days. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're not this, really at the same level.
2: It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's because we've gone down this corporate line where everything's just a brand and a, and a franchise and a, this kind of stuff. And it's kind of a corporate way of doing stuff. It's not the British tradition of the way we normally do creative media stuff. But that's where we are at the moment. And It would be nice to get back to caring about, not caring about, but acknowledging individuals a little bit more. I mean, it was great for us in those days to, you know, as any artist, you know, to to be able to justify yourself in your 20s. That we had that privilege, like not only making good money, but really being credible as artists. Because some people struggle with that the whole life and don't achieve it. And I know myself, I'd have been very bitter had I not achieved that success. So I'm very grateful that I had that in my twenties. And now, I mean, it's just it's a different it's a different thing. It's like you want to keep on going. You want to do something uh, cool and uh, uh, relevant. But the landscape is always shifting, you know. Sensible software software really died because we went from two D games to three D games. Yeah, if we'd have been yeah. we been stuck on two D games in the Amiga, we'd still be doing it now. I mean, I had no desire whatsoever for it for the world to change from the Amiga. But it did because it does in our know, in
1: our medium. You know, so we shouldn't expect a sociable soccer for workbench anytime soon. Then,
2: <laughs> you know, sometimes it's really hard as a creative person to be waiting on programming all the time programming is slow. You know, it's, it's a slow process. Um, sometimes I'm thinking, C- can I do another one? Like, could I, could I really do another one after this? I mean, certainly I don't want to do another eight year one. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a light large slice of your life. You know?
1: I mean, I'm still playing sensible world of on the series X cause they did an th- Xbox 360 version that is, <laughs> <laughs> that's on the back compat. So I'm, I'm still going that's basically
2: the amiga that's yeah. basically the amiga version yeah i mean that, that's it i mean it's like it's it's weird it's it, it's strange that we make we're making a new game at the moment and it's not it's not sensible soccer it's not the that game which is a great game Of course, i love it to bits and it's made a lot of my life but what we're making now isn't the same game and i i kind of say to people if you want to play sensible soccer then then play it play Swass. it's great best thing ever made you know, it's it's like you can't... We, we had the option to call this game Sensible Soccer. I spoke to Codemasters about it. It was on the table. I didn't want to do it in the end. I I didn't want to pretend we were making a new game that was Sensible Soccer. I know what Sensible Soccer is. Um, mm. It's the best thing I've ever made. It would be it would probably have been uh, financially better in the short term to call it Sensible Soccer, but I don't think I could bear the criticism of it. You know the expectation.
1: Yeah, yeah. You said the new one has some of the the rougher edges, like the original sensible soccer. Yeah, I mean, I mean,
2: a lot of the game is a lot of the game plays with the same spirit as you know sensible soccer. I mean, f- from my perspective, I made MicroPro Soccer in the eighties, I made Sensible Soccer in the nineties. Um, in fact, m- one of the little things that I, I, I reel out sometimes, I reel it out now. So in nineteen eighty eight, MicroPro Soccer was the number one game on the Commodore sixty four. Then uh, in ninety 19- to 97, we had Sensible Soccer and SWAS. Uh, in 2005, we had a mobile version of Sensible Soccer uh, on like the old Nokia phones. Yeah. Uh, that also got to number one. And in the second from last week of 2019, when we launched the Apple Arcade version of Sociable Soccer, that also got to number one in the Apple Arcade charts. Um, at the very end of the <laughs> The 2000, uh, the teens. So I've actually had a number one football game the, each of the last four decades uh, by some fluke because of this. So I just want this game to get that, that's my challenge for social so you got soccer. six,
0: you got six years to,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly six years to get it to get Easy. to number one. That's it. So I mean, for me, it's a, like that. that's the challenge. And then the next thing is to just establish a viable game and it will be for a while, it won't be forever. But, um, a viable game that can that can remind people that arcade football games are probably more fun to play than simulations. They don't look quite as smooth normally because they're moving a bit faster. But um once you play them, once you get into them, the frenetic feeling of playing them gives you some kind of like a bit of an adrenaline rush. And that's quite a cool thing to to have. So yeah, I mean I've got six years, exactly. It got six years to make it five decades in a row. I mean, four's pretty good. Um, but why not go to? What else can I do? You know, I suppose <laughs> that's the, that's the next little challenge, and then I guess to, to just to just secure that for as long as we can, as something new, and then see what happens next. If there were another sensible title, I would look at next. And I'm not saying I definitely want to do this, but it would be Megalomania. All right. The Megalomania is the sensible game that had the least amount uh, of time because, unfortunately, it came out and then Robert Maxwell jumped off his boat because we were yeah. with Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, and the game kind of went down with Robert Maxwell in his boat and the timing was very unfortunate um, because he never really got that big push he should have had I would like to see a new version of Megalomania I think that would be fun um, apart from that I'd like to make new games anyway I like to do new stuff I've always done new stuff like I yeah. said designed a word game yesterday so I was thinking who do I know who's a mobile programmer who can knock that up quick we can see if it works
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so going back to what you were saying before about being an artist uh, and being at Sensible, uh, they were the original Rockstar developer, I would say. They were kind of like Rare before Rare in the 90s or before Rockstar even, and uh, that you were seen larking about and having fun while making what you wanted. Was that a conscious thing to present to the industry, like a visibility and branding thing as we would put it on today? Um,
2: well, I think you're doing the Bitmap Brothers a disservice there. I think they were <laughs> probably... Uh, <laughs> Uh, similar vein to us. Um, well,
0: they were a bit more prog rock, weren't they? They were a bit more prog. Yeah. The journey <laughs> of game development.
2: Yeah, I have, have a little bigger <laughs> mic about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and um, I think we've I think we've gone about sensible software and I discussed it with Gary Penn when he wrote the Sensible Software book. Yeah. And we came up in the end with the Kinks as being the band sensible software is probably most <laughs> similar to in a music sense because it's a bit quirky and successful in different styles of music, and with a like sense of fun and stuff like that, and uh, but uh, also a serious underlying edge. And um, I think w- what happened with w- when we, it's all about the people you're working with. You know, when we were on the Commodore sixty four games, we were really lucky when we we're at Ocean. We met Martin Galway really early on, on in our careers, Martin was only 18 when we first met him, and uh, he was just a brilliant uh, Commodore 64 musician and composer. Martin made this beautiful music to go with our games, which gave it a totally different atmosphere and actually elevated it a lot. You know, this is purely because we were lucky enough to have Martin there. When we hit the Amiga, then we started to work with Richard Joseph, who we'd first worked with at uh, Palace Software uh, when we worked with Palace on shoot map Construction Kit, I think. But Richard was a very was a very dear friend of mine. Unfortunately, no longer with us now. Um, but Richard was like a genius at using the Amiga as a as a tool as an instrument, but as a tool to like put speech in it and we put commentary in international three D tennis with Dan Maskell commentating. We put uh, the music from the Wimbledon theme, and then songwriter coming from a songwriting background. You know, I've been a songwriter since I was sixteen. It was the first time for me to actually write songs and put them on there. And Chris also, my, my partner Chris was also songwriting with me, of course, in our old bands. Um, so, yeah, it was a chance to just put a song in the game. I'd always wanted to do it. And now the machine could do it. It's about what the machine could do. And then when we put the song there, uh, we thought it would be fun to make a video because the I think it was, must have been the CD32 and would you to have more memory to do stuff. So we decided to make a video. That that in for the video that everyone remembers. It cost 80 quid to make. <laughs> <laughs> it was super cheap. Basically, we just gave everyone the day off work. We hired this half-track vehicle with a driver. We hired some um, fancy dress shop up the road. We hired some military uniforms. Uh, we got a Donald Duckhead as well. We bought some plastic guns. Uh, we found a field with poppies in it. And I asked this kind uh, lady there, could we use her field? And she said yes. And that's it. I wrote a little script to go with the song and then we made the video and it was just a bit of fun. And then when that worked, we did it again with like Sensible World of Soccer and we even did it with Sensible Golf and some of the other titles as well going forward. Yeah, it was just, it was about having fun. We worked really hard. I mean, I've always worked to try and cut people in on royalties on the games and then work people really hard. And people were working really hard. We were working incredibly long hours. We had a fantastic team at sensible at that time we had ostensibly six people plus Richard joseph sometimes and mike hammond our data guy and it was like being in a band mm. and the videos reflect that feeling we were just guys working hard together and having fun
0: yeah i can relate to that uh, on the magazine days um yeah you talked about you know 3d kind of killed sensible a little bit but i mean the thing is when you when you kind of look back to the, the sort of playstation era and you know we had, it was the era of you know quake and gta yeah. and and the game you were working on the games you were there was i think two games you were working on back then but the one only, the only one i can remember is sex and drugs and rock and roll uh-huh. which seems like a game in hindsight from what i remember reading about it it seems like a game that would have fitted in with that period um did you look do you look back on that phase cuz you talked about earlier you talked about you know you you have to keep up up with things was that a period where you felt that you didn't keep up with things? And, and was uh, it a missed opportunity?
2: Oh, my God. Was it a missed opportunity? Yeah, the biggest one of my career. Ostensibly, I designed the, the next generation of point-and-click adventures with Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll. So the subject matter could have been anything. It could have been about a ballet school. It was the engine behind it, driving it, that was interesting to me. And actually, many, many years later, because we were talking about Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll was designed in 1995, And the game which came out eventually, which kind of did what we were planning to do, was Heavy Rain when Heavy Rain came out, which was, I don't know, 10 years after. Um, Yeah. It was really depressing to not, you know, because for me it's been about the things which excite me are the innovation parts. Like we, Megalomania was the first game to have a tech tree, as it turned out. Swos was the first game to have, or Sensible Soccer was the first game to have multiracial people in a sports game and, you know, reflecting the whole world um what else cannon fodder with its music and you know we were constantly innovating and doing stuff first like even with megalomani with talking in the game before you'd really had much speech in the game um and and yeah that to take that next level i've always loved that the leisure suit larry's and the monkey island games mm-hmm. and i just wanted to take that to the next thing and the sex drugs and rock and roll was just really fun subject matter, like lots of music so we had a chance to write lots of music um and eighteen plus. It was basically taking Leisure Suit Larry and just putting a little bit more into it, really, mm. and putting it in this rock star setting. And unfortunately, we we're undone because our programmer who'd be putting it was just not good enough. I mean, a lot of stuff goes on. Um, you know, in the games industry, your programmers are really the, the most important people. It's it's a bit like you have got on a boat trip, and the programmer's the boat driver, and if he doesn't if he doesn't turn up, the thing doesn't move. Um, mm. Or you go in the wrong direction, and everyone else is just trying to like plan the holiday, but they can't do anything about moving. And um, yeah, unfortunately, with Sex Drugs and Rock and our programming was too weak at the start, and we didn't realise it for about a year and a bit, and we were we never really caught up the ground we lost. Yes, I regret a lot. It took me many years to recover from working very very hard on something for four years, and it never saw the light of day. It made me very determined with games like Word Explorer, even with Social Soccer now, to just get it out you just keep on fighting until it's out and it is fighting you know, because that hurt that hurts to to lose four or five years of you know i was in the peak of my creative power at the time and then it got lost because someone couldn't keep up with the technology so and that wasn't really because it was 3d as such the whole industry was shifting you know from 2d games to the, the newer machines and it was also coinciding with dot com and a lot of people elaborating on their skill set, shall we say, you know, uh, yeah. And you wouldn't find out that they weren't really up to it until too late, and 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 also like we'd operated as a small company where there was no room to hide, you know. It was there were only when you've only got six people in the office every day, you can't hide from each other. Everyone's got to show up. Everyone's going to do their job. When we went got to a team of twenty people, it's not very big, but people can hide a little bit. And um, we didn't have any middle management layer at all, uh, sensible. Uh, We didn't have any weak people in it until we started to expand. And I think we just got caught. We underestimated the demands of the new technology, basically. We'd made an extremely smooth and easy transition from 8-bit to 16-bit machines. And we assumed it would be the same again, but it wasn't the same. It was much more tricky. So, yeah, we, you know... We live in a world of technology. Eventually, you've got to keep moving or the, or the the ground gets pulled from under your feet, basically.
0: No, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, you talked about, yeah, so Sensible was acquired by Codemasters at the end of the 90s, yeah. um, uh, which you who you continued to work with for, for some years afterwards.
2: Yeah.
0: How did you find that period? Because obviously you, you talked about the industry changing, coming more corporate. And I know Coastmasters was pretty successful around that time because it was all, you know, Conor Clay rally and and and. Well,
2: Coast Co- is like an that. interest. Yeah, Coastmasters was interesting. I mean, I I had a very good relationship with the Darling family, like with David and Richard and the dad Jim. Um, it was a family company. It didn't feel like a corporate company. It felt like a big family company. They were making moves to like, constantly going gearing up to sell and then going back from selling and then gearing up to sell again and that when I was there it happened a few times but the heart of the company wasn't particularly corporate it didn't feel that way to me okay I felt like I was working with friends there I mean so um yeah from from, from my perspective maybe it was just my perspective maybe because I had a good relationship with the people who ran the company um you never get totally on the inside with the family company but I felt like I was accepted to an extent in the in the middle of what they were doing. Um, which was quite nice, actually. I, I enjoyed the time there a lot. I got a lot of affection for Masters. You know, I've, I've, I've mostly done my own thing most of my career, and that time at Masters is probably the most I've associated working with another company mm. on their products. I, I did a short stint at Jagex about 10 years, no, longer than that. Wow, well, about 13, 14 years ago, but a much shorter stint, and that felt very different. That was a little bit more corporate. Um, but Codemasters, no. Cod- Codys, was, uh, Cody's had a bunch of different studios, basically, within one company. And uh, it was it was varied. It was, there was a particularly nice period, actually, in that. We were working on... We had a design for Canon for the 3. And um, unfortunately for Canon for the 3, it started and stopped three times. And the staff working in it kept on getting shuffled to other projects. Um but we we had a period of time. Codemasters had a studio in Fulham, and there was about thirty old people in the studio. And um, when I first started working with them there, we were I was working with them on finishing off Prince Nasser in boxing.
0: Oh yes, I remember that. And yeah.
2: then and then after that, they started working on Cannon for the Three, and it was a really cool setup. And there's a guy called Dave Vout that worked there as the producer, and I worked as a designer. And I, I really enjoyed my time going there, working with Dave. as a kind of like a management team, if you like, with with this. Thirty people. The number was good. The location was good. It was really, really good. Unfortunately, Codemasters were going through some changes in their operation at the time. And they had to sell the building. So they sold the building and shut the entire studio down. Um, so that, that after about six months of that, that stopped. But that was quite nice. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's very random and weird how you go into these different environments working with people and, and things change. Um, but you just roll with it, you know, into the next thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess what hasn't really changed, I guess, is Tower, which... Is, I guess you'll be celebrating 20 years soon, won't you? Next year.
2: Unbelievable. Like myself and it was set up by myself and, and Mike Montgomery and uh, John Phillips from the Beermatt Brothers. Yeah. Which we, it's called Tower Studios because we had an office uh, right by the Tower of London on the River Thames by Tower Bridge. And um, so we became Tower Studios. Mike and John really stopped working with the company about two and a bit years in. So I've taken it over on mm. my own.
0: Person. So so so, what was the plan though? Because obviously Tower, Tower Studios now is, is you and I know you do other things on the side so it's not something, you know, it's kind of like an umbrella organisation I suppose for all your little projects and, and, and your business kind of interests and stuff. But obviously there was a, was there a plan back in 2004 when you set it up with Bitmaps?
2: When we set it up, it was when mobile gaming was booming. Not, not touch phone gaming, but it it's before the iPhone. So we're talking about old
1: Nokia phones. Like the Java games, or yeah, before, yeah, and yeah, those
2: kind of things. And we, and we, you know, we started doing it. Like I say, we did, we did sensible soccer, which was a number one game for a while, and Cannon fodder as well, hmm. also a number one game. And we did a rugby game, which was quite successful. Uh, it was for me that was nice because I always wanted to do like sensible other sports. So we did effect- effectively sensible rugby on the phone. But then it got called British Lions. We had a British Lions license, so the name was different. That was quite fun to do. And then we made a mini golf game, which never came out, which was a bit frustrating and But myself and Mike and John we were all we were all consulting. I was doing design consulting and they were doing programming consulting and we were making far much money more money from the consulting than from the games we were making because mm. the, the very very worst time in game development was those years. The mobile networks treated all developers like dirt. It was not nice. They didn't know that they had two of the iconic British game studios with the Bitmap Brothers and the and Sensible Software in in us. They didn't seem to care.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We were a two to three percent of their income as games on their phone networks. We were the loss leader for them. Uh, well, we were like the yeah, we were like the, the dairy farmers complaining about the fact that they're not even making enough money on their milk. Well, that's kind of like what we were. They were putting our games on their phones virtually for free, invent, starting to invent the concept of free games to sell their devices.
0: Yeah.
2: And I don't forgive them for that. I don't forgive whoever invented free games. That's the one that needs shooting against the wall. We never asked for our games to be sold for free or given away for free. So that was that was a big game changer. And it wasn't done by people who make or publish games. No one in their right mind would give their, their product away for nothing.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was speaking to um, uh, Michael Shader, the, who does Rockfish Games in Hamburg. And uh-huh. They did, I don't know if you remember, a game on the iPhone, an early iPhone game called Galaxy on Fire, space game. Well,
2: I don't remember. That.
0: Very popular. And um, it's interesting because he was talking about it and, and he was saying it was kind of like, a, it was a premium game. It was like 10, 11, 12 quid. And, 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 and he remembers, you know, when Apple said to him, you know, we're going to start introducing... No, that was it. People were allowed to set their own prices, weren't they? And it was just a race to the bottom at that point, and it just went down to ninety nine cents for everything. Completely destroyed their business because they were like a premium game developer. Their idea was they could make console quality games on 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 phones, Uh and they just got out. They were like, you know, whereas everyone else was piling in to make mobile games. He was like, well, we just got out. We didn't want to. We want no part of it. The whole race to the bottom, free to play. They just wanted to get out. So it's
2: it's really it's really difficult because. The thing is, the people who are making the money out of the current free-to-play system are ad companies mostly, and networks who just want volume. You know, anyone who wants volume of traffic. You've got a thousand games of which nine hundred and fifty are just poor copies of fifty good games. But the more games you've got there, the mm. more bandwidth is taken up. The more um, you know, the more the networks are being used. Everyone's competing with each other for visibility, which means that um, you're paying. Advertising companies to push your brand, and then even within your free game, you're monetizing it through ads that are being served. It's making ad companies a lot of money. i I would like one example of where an advert has ever made a product better. I mean, can you imagine classic classic films with an ad popping up every three minutes in the middle? you know mm. or you know they, they they destroy creative content, they destroy suspension of belief, and even a gap to ask you for money. It kind of changes your mentality. Mm. Uh, You don't get that flow. You don't get that immersion. And uh, I I don't like it. I mean, of course, I've made games with this stuff in and I'll continue to do that as long as that's part of what you need to have to do. But I I really dislike it. I I think that it's um, belittling what we create Mm. and it's diverting money from our pockets to other people's pockets who don't even need to be in the mix at all. And I don't think it's good for the public either. I think I think for the public they get worse products. I think the public in general would prefer less games, but an average high quality, right? I'm yeah, so.
0: Yeah, arguably, yeah. Which, which kind? Of, I guess it's kind of begs the question then, because you did talk at the beginning about um, the possibility of a sociable soccer being on Android. I think you implied anyway. You didn't. I don't think you directly said, but. I mean, that's obviously a platform that would I would expect you would expect that to be free to play. Is that something you would you grudgingly (laughs) are looking at? Well, this
2: is this is a big question for us at the moment. Actually, this is this is the big internal question for us because if we make it free to play, there's also a lot of extra work you need to do to make that work properly. So it's actually a lot more outlay than just you know you know what we've done on Apple Arcade with one or two exceptions. It's basically a premium game because it's a sub- subscription service. Mm. So my preference would be is to just make premium games or maybe subscription games. It's, it's a, This is has worked successfully as a su- subscription game in Apple Arcade. Mm.
0: Um,
2: I would like to see more alternatives offered. The great thing about Apple Arcade, I have to say, is that they give you money up front and they give you royalties. From a developer's perspective, if you do work on Netflix as far as i understand you don't get royalties you only get money up front
1: so there's rumours at the minute of an xbox store coming to android because uh, of the bought king and apparently they're working on a new, like a separate store and hopefully that'll be a premium games thing and not just an alternative google play
2: yeah i mean this we we just need these kind of solutions i mean it's it's such a waste of energy also to try and manage and think about the way you're going to monetize and how this works. And it's so fragile when when you, when you work with, like the Mass game I'm working with, we've touched on these things and there's so much unknown about it and there's there's so much speculation. You know, is this the right thing to do? Or some people have done this, but it's not worked. Or maybe we can try this. And, you know, there's it's, it's a lot of energy spent on speculation about how you can squeeze money out of people who got your game for free.
1: Does your your musician background help with that then? Does it sometimes feel a bit like selling CDs in the car park?
2: (laughs) Oh, that's what the pirate people used to do with our Amiga games. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been doing business in this industry for almost 40 years. Um, You've got to be flexible about how you work and approach things. I very much dislike free-to-play games. I, I find it insulting to us for our work. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that anyone, regardless of their skill level, can put a game out now mixed with professionally made stuff. Um, There's just something wrong about the way it's managed at the moment. Like I said, the, the digital world is not curated. What is really good is that it does help some more talented, younger, newer people to like emerge and show their games. But I would rather that be done in a way how, for example, Chris and I got discovered with Parallax all those years ago with Ocean, where publishers open their doors to promising young people to see what they can do rather than let them publish it. You know, it should be have a gate of someone checking the quality because nine times out of ten, the game's not good or it's just a slightly poorer copy of, I don't know, Candy Crush, for example.
1: So uh, more... Uh, idea Xbox and Nindies and less uh, free-for-all.
2: Much less free-for-all. I mean, like I say, the only people benefiting from all these games at the moment are the channels that put them out and the advertising companies. That's it. That's who's winning. The developers are certainly not winning. The publishers are certainly not winning. It's just more noise. It's too much noise. And, And I've got to say, it feels kind of almost degrading to have to like endlessly promote your work all the time and say please give us attention and please give us likes and you know i mean something feels cheap about it if i'm honest i guess it's because in my background i never had to do that in the past we made the game and then the publishing company put the game out there and advertised it and i would come and do interviews like this and that was all really good but the the bit where you're endlessly endlessly having to chase people to please give us a nice positive review and it's everywhere you know yeah you know we're living in a world where we're we, we've integrated technology with a lot of things that we do, but we've not we're not really managing it properly at the moment. And we, we we're starting to get the feeling I think that the technology is managing us quite a bit right now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is relatively new. I mean, it's only really in the last five or ten years that's happened. It's that the balance feels like it's tipped. But if I look at like me and my wife here at home, you know, every night she works for the uh, NHS for the health service. Um every night we're both of us are doing admin, totally different jobs, just tons of admin, tons of messages, tons of things to fill in and communications to be done and this is all generated by systems which want to be maintained <laughs> mm. you know yeah. so that's the really boring the really boring part of the job is like the i've got I've got my email list down to about thirty I've got left now, but they're things like filling in the forms so that you can register with these special b-e-n-i-r-s form for american tax if you want to receive money from i don't know apple or. i had to do
1: that for twitch yeah they they chased it because it needs replacing every like three years doesn't it
2: (sighs) oh yeah exactly that's the one sitting in my inbox (laughs) alongside the one the visa to get into america that you have to do every couple of years as well and (laughs) alongside something else from microsoft and this, this just doesn't ever go alongside needing to do my VAT return, which which is late. You know, it's like that's the reality of what, <laughs> what you're doing alongside making games. is all that stuff, and I think that's what is demanding us. And the, you know, we, we're in a different era of, of work now. It's again, we just have to adapt to what what is now.
1: We can't go around it. We just got to get through it. And if they could start teaching it in schools, that'd be nice. <laughs> no, but the time they've
2: you've, the time you graduated, they've changed the system. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Probably still
0: more useful than sewing, though. <laughs> so, thank you. With you thought of you doing your VAT return, uh, John, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk sociable soccer and sensible soccer and all the many years between both games. Um, I hope the new game has a successful season. And we can look forward to the inevitable sociable world of soccer.
2: Thank you very much. i really enjoyed it uh, chatting with you guys. And yeah, this is this is the start of sociable soccer for us now. It's been out for a total of oh, it's making noises. That means I've got a meeting. Um <laughs> it's, it's um it's been out for a grand total of three weeks now on the PC, and it's not even on the consoles yet. So we're at the unbelievably unbe- yeah. after eight years, we're at the start of the journey. <laughs> for this. So
0: yeah. Yeah, it's good, it's good. Okay. Well, you go to golfy meeting. So, um, thanks for that, John. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Happy holidays.